Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. episode is airing on Tuesday, August 31st, 2021. Hello, everyone. It's Shannon back with you today to share an author interview and, of course, to discuss this week's new releases. So first up, I am really excited for all of you to hear an interview that I did with author Jamie Brenner. Um, we recorded this toward the end of June and we're talking about her latest release, Blush, which is a love letter to women's fiction, to romance. Um, this was such a delightful conversation. I hope all of you enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoyed participating in it. So we are going to get started with the housekeeping information, then the interview with Jamie Brenner, and then I will talk to you about this week's new books. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro podcast. This is Shannon, and I am so excited today to be talking with author Jamie Brenner, whose latest novel, Blush, was released in the U.S. on June 22nd, and it has made its way onto several lists of like best books and most anticipated books. It was one of our most anticipated June releases here. I believe it has also gotten uh, some notoriety through like, Good Morning America and some other places. So I just want to say thank you so much for joining us today and letting listeners know a little bit about you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to, to talk with you. Awesome. So can we start out with a brief introduction to what listeners can expect from Blush? Sure. Blush is a story of three generations of women who convene at the family winery on the North Fork of Long Island for the summer. Um, and each of these women is at a turning point. They're each facing uh, a little crisis. And over the course of the summer, they find an unlikely source of um, answers and fortification for their problems in the form of the old novels from the 1980s that had been a part of the grandmother's trashy novel book club. Books like yes. Scruples and Chances, yes. So these books were laying around the library and uh, the college age daughter of my protagonist stumbled upon them and things take off from there. 
I was so happy when I saw the blurb for this like several months ago because I was like, oh my gosh, it's like a love letter to like the old kind of romances and like women's fictiony novels that Absolutely. I kind of grew up on. You nailed it. It totally is a love letter. Um, and it's something I wanted to write probably my whole life. And it just took me this long to like put the pieces of the story together. But, you know, these books were really formative to me. And, um, you know, while I went on to read great, you know, great literature and all the important books as an English major, uh, these were the books that stayed with me in the most profound way. I feel like these are the books that sort of shaped my reading as an adult. Like these are books that I picked up probably when I was too young to really do that but you know that's how it goes yeah. um, and now as an adult you know like you I've read a lot of things and I, I try to read in a, a wide array of genres but I always find myself kind of coming back to romance and women's fiction and there's nothing quite as as comforting as that like it always kind of reminds me of when I was younger and, you know, diving into some of those books for the first time. And I just, I loved that aspect of your book. Thank you. Well, you know, they, you know, it's said that the books that you read as a young person stay with you in a way that like nothing that comes later can ever compare. So I feel very fortunate that this happened to be uh, what was popular when I was a teenager uh, in the 80s. And I too, like, I love books. I want books that are going to take me out of my head, give me escape, and ultimately, you know, make me happy. Um, that's what I turned to reading for. And there's all different reasons to go to books. You can learn something or you, but at the end of the day, you know, I want to, to be taken on a ride with people I want to spend time with. Um, and these were the first books that really, gave me, you know, a window into the world. So I wanted to pay tribute to them. And I wanted to sort of have a new conversation about their value. Yes. Do you have a favorite of sort of those older books that are a little bit like not quite so popular and perhaps not quite so politically correct today? <laughs> Yeah, they're definitely not politically correct. But you know, that's, and that's something I had to address through the lens of my 20 something character but mm -hmm. the 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 story the character the message you know overall absolutely um you know persists and aged just fine so my favorite is Mistral's daughter by Judith Kranz ah uh, yes um, you know epic you know spanning decades world war ii paris oh, new yeah. york fashion it's just the most lush incredible novel that I reread every few years and um, it, it never loses its its magic. And I also loved Chances by Jackie Collins, which I write oh, yes, about a yes. lot in this in this story. Um, it's a book that all the like mafia goodness. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it, you know, it's really genius because Jackie Collins, you know, this is probably her most famous heroine, Lucky Santangelo. Lucky. And so let's say, you know, we're writing books or talking about women standing up for themselves or overcoming obstacles. This heroine's father is literally like a mobster and yet she bests him. You know, she becomes ultimately more powerful and, and braver than he is, which I just thought was such a brilliant way to 
uh, depicts like a woman claiming her power. And she was, Jackie Collins was to me like the most important feminist um, I encountered in the eighties. It made me so sad when she died. Oh my goodness. It was, you know, really a loss because this is someone who would not have stopped writing, you know, we, and um, I just saw the documentary about her called (gasps) Lady Boss. Yes. And this is on CNN Sunday night. I highly recommend this because not only does it give you the behind the scenes about who she was, like the woman behind the glamorous facade, it shows like some of the craziness surrounding her book's publication and how disrespected she was and how much she had to keep explaining herself. Like today, you know, you have a New York Times bestseller, like enough said, you don't have to right, go you're on good. TV That's and justify, it. yeah, you don't have to justify yourself in every single interview. And no. to see what she went through was just like heart-wrenching to me. I'm really excited to see this now. Another author I think that did that for me would be Bertrice Small. And I, I fell hard in love with her Sky O'Malley books um, that were written, you know, in the 70s and 80s. Mm-hmm. And she was another one who I was just so, so sad when she passed away. Yeah, it was a really rich era. And unfortunately, like not that many um, of those authors are still around. I believe I Shirley know. Conrad is author is of Race. I do think she is at, she's here with us. She's in England. Oh. But yeah, you know. so many now have, have passed away. Um, like we lost Joanna Lindsay not that long ago. Yeah. Just it's it's very sad. And there are so many like magical books that are written today. And yet it's always sort of those older ones that I think about um, in terms of like the things that make me the happiest. The other thing that made me really happy about your book is that I really love Long Island. I lived there um, for three years in starting in 2010. And it is just like one of my favorite places. Yeah, it's an amazing uh, place because there's so many different ways to experience it. And I was in Sag Harbor researching my novel Drawing Home when I was in a restaurant and I realized that the name of the restaurant was the same name on all the wines on the wine list. And I was like, what's going on here? Realized it's a family vineyard. And um, that was the beginning of my like deep dive into North Fork wineries. But yeah, I lived in New York for 25 years and, and Long Island was my my escape um, lots of different places where I would take a day trip or a long weekend to just get out of the city and experience um, water and nature and all that stuff us city folks were deprived of. It's a little bit of kind of a like a culture shock, I think, in some cases. Like I was there and some guy told me that he didn't think there was any like such thing as homelessness. Like that didn't really exist. And I was just like, oh, um, okay. And then I kind of thought about, you know, the way that he is living and the people that he surrounds himself with. And I was just like, yeah, maybe, you know, maybe yeah. in your mind, like these things don't exist. And Yet, you know, they really do. And I think there is that kind of disconnect. And yet there is something that I just, I really love about the island 
just in general and kind of all those like teeny tiny villages that, you know, don't really appear on a map, but they're just kind of there. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like, I just started rewatching or not rewatching, watching the show Gilmore Girls, which oh, I know is set in Connecticut, Girls. but yes. I keep imagining it as um, a teeny little off the map town in Long Island. Cause that's more yes. of a, that reference point for me, but yeah, there's that feeling where you could be somewhere and it's the, you know, it, it's own universe it's a little bit of a bubble, um, which I don't want to live in a bubble all the time, but there no. are moments when you need, like, it's really nice to have that escapism. Yes, it, it is. And there's just, it has, I think, a lot to offer. It's just something that you also have to have sort of the alternate perspective that, yes, like the homelessness does exist, even if it doesn't, you know, in these small towns where, everyone is wealthy and privileged and you don't really have much in the way of like social services um, because people don't, you know, just, just don't seem to need that. Yeah. I mean, first of all, it's hard to believe someone like, I mean, with the news, you know, and social media like that, you don't understand the, you know, the reality for other people. But um, I guess, you know, if someone can live that much in a, in their own little worlds you know good for them maybe they're less stressed than we are he was the only person who actually like said that out loud to me but after he said it to me I sort of thought about it and like wondered you know how many other people that sort of live the way he was living and you know had sort of similar ideas like how many people actually thought those things and just perhaps didn't like need to say them Look, I was working in New York in a big company and one of my coworkers said she doesn't believe about, she thought the subway was kind of a myth, like an urban myth. What? Yes, uh, uh, truly. I will never forget that. So like she yeah, never like went down like no, to it and saw no, it? No. <laughs> and this is someone who had to get to work every day. So, you know, you do the math on how she's getting around how New York. But did she get there? I, um, <laughs> I need to know this. <laughs> I don't know. Everyone has their life experience. But I mean, and that's the great thing about books is like you can experience alternate worlds and some alternate worlds you want to experience and some you really don't. Um, <laughs> but at least now in reading, is... we can pick and choose which ones we're exposed to. Now this is going to be like in my head all day, like the mythical something. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, this happens. Yes, it, it'll just kind of like keep replaying itself in my mind. It'll be like my strange little obsession for the day. As it has been for me for 20 years since I had the conversation. Ah, well, see, then <laughs> that's just how it goes. <laughs> how it goes. So do you have a favorite book that you've written, would you say, or do you kind of like them all in different ways or like them all kind of at the time that you're writing them? But is there one that kind of sticks with you even after you've moved on to other things? Well, prior to this book, I would have told you that they're like children and that I love them all equally. But now I have a favorite and it's this book because okay. I really, because just so much of what um, I love about reading and writing and friendship and, and just life, but I was able to like pack into this novel. Um, and so to me, it is, it is, has a special place in my heart. And then if I had to pick a runner up, I would say the forever summer, because that is a book that brought me to my favorite beach town in the world, which is Provincetown, Cape yes. Cod. Yeah. So, and, and that book started me sort of on my track of writing 
summer books. Um, so those two are the standouts for me. There are just like this category of books that obviously like you can read, you know, any time of the year. And I don't read summer books only in the summer, but they do sort of have that, that summery feeling where it's like the perfect thing to read on a summer day. Yeah, well, I mean, I remember reading these Jackie Crans and Judith, I mean, uh, Jackie Collins and Judith Crans novels on the beach. Like these were oh. beach books to me. I and mean, I literally have vivid memories of the mass market paperbacks getting wet and sandy <gasps> and having to like, you know, preserve them until I could at least finish the book and then trying to save them and my mother throwing them out because they got mildew. Um, oh, but, dear. Um, yeah, that's... Um, Summer books, you know, I think a beautiful setting is a great contrast to like family drama. So you yes. can have a really intense scene of people like not happy and going at it. But when you set it in contrast to like the ocean or we're going to go for a swim or we're going to walk the vineyard, you know, it's almost like comic relief in a movie when it gets too serious for a minute. Yes, it's like you have sort of that thing that can kind of divert you a little bit and say, oh, like this is really bad for these people, but there's still like this really beautiful thing that's kind of the, the backdrop of the book. Right, exactly. So can you say anything about what we can um, expect next from you? Yes, I just handed in my book for next summer, which is oh. a similar family drama. It's, you know, in the spirit of blush, but it's set in a jewelry dynasty, kind of like oh. Tiffany. It's a family who's synonymous with engagement rings and diamonds. But of course, all the women in the family have been unlucky in love. And one of the granddaughters, a sort of like cast off heir, returns to the family to reclaim what's hers um, at the beginning of one summer. Okay, I would like this right now. <laughs> <laughs> Next year, it's called Guilt, G-I-L-T. That is a great title. Thank you, I'm excited. I'm excited to get this one to you as well. Do you, you uh, sort of had something enter my mind here in terms of, of your titles. Do you find it easy to come up with your titles? Like, do you kind of know them all along or do they sort of creep up on you as your book is unfolding? Some are easy. Like I have the title first and others are agonizing. Um, and it's so important to me. Like I was just talking to Kristen Higgins and she said she never oh, has the title. I love her too. And she said she never has the title until she's done her book. And oh. I literally cannot start writing until I have a title. Um, it's something that, you know, it's like, um, like, uh, like a, a flashlight that keeps me on track because I know kind of conceptually what I'm writing towards. And when I don't have it, it's agonizing. But I also have to say, I have had titles changed on me because the sales team or booksellers um, don't like it. And that's oh. not, yeah, that's, that happens. And it happens a lot. It only happened to me once, but it's, it's a pretty routine, um, you know, in the industry. And I think that's, for me, it's challenging. So then when that happens, like, do they sort of suggest alternate titles or is that left to you to no, then like, we don't like this, yeah. but no, that's the hardest part. It's not like they're like, Hey, we think this would be amazing. It's kind of like, 
not feeling this. So what else have you got? And I'm like, um, nothing. I don't know. Nothing. (laughs) I had that book and that title line for the past year and a half. But, you know, these are the people who have to bring my book to the public. Booksellers have to be behind it because they're the ones hand selling it. So if they're not feeling the title, that's a serious thing that has to be corrected. It's just it's just hard, you know, in the moment to to switch gears. So I guess in terms of like books that I, you know, promote to people and books that I really recommend, I I don't know that the title like plays into that for me in terms of like, if I didn't like the title, like if I thought, you know, well, this isn't the greatest or this is like a silly title, I still would, I think, like recommend the book if I love the book. Now, if it's like a silly title and a not great book, well then, you know, we'll just leave that there. But yeah, I feel like for me, you know, the title is often what catches people's eye. But like, you know, one of my presenters was telling me for years that I should read Penny Reed. And she kept telling me about this book called Beauty and the Mustache. And I was just like, I don't know. Like that's, that's, that's weird. <laughs> like that's a weird title. But then like I did end up reading it and now like, I still think it's not a great title and it makes me like a little bit embarrassed to tell somebody that I read a book called Beauty and the Mustache, which I don't know what that <laughs> says about me necessarily, but it's like, if you ask me, you know, about it, I, I would still tell you that it's a great book and that you should, you know, not be like me and not read it because <laughs> you think it has a silly title. But I think that raises an important and very honest point, which is, you know, so much of a book, uh, book's life is word of mouth. And if there's any, you know, it's so hard to get the word of a book out there. So if there's, you don't want to handicap the book in any way that might slow down that process. Like, and, and the, having to talk about something and say something, like I have this eyeshadow color and I hate the name of it because it's got like a double entendre and every time I have to go to the store, like I, I, I am embarrassed to ask the woman to pull it out of the stock room for me (laughs) to the point where I want to switch eyeshadow colors. So I definitely don't want people feeling that way about um, talking about one of my books and um, you just don't want to have to overcome anything. It's like hard enough. Right. Right. It's just interesting to me, like the things that kind of catch people's attention and the things that don't um you know like sometimes I'll I'll hear a title and I'm like wow like that's a really great title and it sticks to me for a while but if it's a really great title and then not a great book then again like we just sort of leave it and say well you know okay like the title was good the book was not blah um so it's just it's interesting what kind of catches people's eye and what makes people like pick up a book if it's something that they weren't inclined to pick up, you know, originally. Sure. And of course it's totally subjective. Like it is, you know, there is no absolute good or bad title. Um, And which, you know, when someone says you should change this, it's like, well, you know, I do trust your judgment, but you're also just one person and there's no way to make a universal statement. Um, I mean, no one has the answer about what 
uh, makes a book work. Um, right. you know, everyone's trying to the best of their ability to make it to maximize what you're putting out there in the world. But at the end of the day, it is art. You know, it's not, this is not a mathematical equation. So, you know, we have to um, find a balance between inspiration and marketing, I guess. Yes, I, I guess that's true because it is, you know, it's art, but it's also a product, a thing yes. that is making money. And if it's not doing that, then I suppose, you know, that's a problem, even though like deep in my soul, I think like it shouldn't be a problem. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but it is. So my favorite question to ask, because authors have such great book recommendations, is what have you read recently that you think the world should know about? I am actually rereading a memoir right now by Jennifer Weiner called Oh, yes. Yeah, I, I, you know, I read her new novel that summer and I really enjoyed it. And it and I I actually had the pleasure of, of speaking to her at one of her book events. And it just reminded me what a fascinating life and complicated life she's had. And it's really one of the best memoirs I've ever read. So I'm rereading it and I recommend that Hungry Heart by Jennifer Weiner. Jennifer Weiner is amazing. We talk about her a lot um, here at Book Bistro in terms of just like new things that she has coming out. Um, Whenever we do like an episode that deals with kind of like women's fiction and and romance books, Mm -hmm. like she, she comes up like so often. Yeah. Because she is incredible. Absolutely. And, you know, she's really also been very vocal about tackling the way women's books are categorized and trying to open people's minds up a little more to, um, you know, not labeling storytelling and just seeing it, you know, for the value that's there. It's true. It's true. I, I still find myself kind of a like genre labely person, like just, you know, in my mind, I'll read something. And I'm like, oh, you know, this is this feels like this to me. Um, but yes, I think that is a very valuable point that a story doesn't necessarily have to be labeled in a certain way to be good or valuable. Right. Or it could be labeled in a certain way, but you have to know that there's probably more dimensions to it as well. Um, Yes. So, and look, and then again, if someone tells me, oh my gosh, this is such a great trashy novel. Like, I'm like, oh, sign me up. Like, sometimes that's what I'm really looking for. Like, and and I'd rather read something that's like light and like candy versus something that's like ponderous. So, yes. So I think it really depends on kind of what you're looking for in the moment. Yeah, exactly. And what books kind of speak to you at at that time. Yes. Well, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule at the time that we're recording this. Blush has only been in the world for a couple of days. So I assume that you've been uh, pretty busy with, with release day things and I really appreciate you carving out a bit of time to chat with me and let us know a little bit more about who you are as a person. My pleasure, Shannon. Thank you. Um, it was a joy. And I would love to talk to you next year when I have yes. my, little, my second family dynastic uh, fictional exploration out in the world. Yes. And can you let listeners know the best place to find you online? Yes. Well, I'm always on Instagram, which is my favorite way to communicate and keep people posted. So I'm at Jamie Brenner writes, and I do have a website, jamiebrenner.com. Perfect. 
Well, thank you so much and good luck with next year's book. Thank you, Shannon. Talk to you again. Bye. Okay, so let's talk about new books. First up, as always, I have a collection of things that you've heard us talk about before on our most anticipated books of August episode. So Brooke is looking forward to A Slow Fire Burning, which is the newest book by Paula Hawkins. This is a good week for Kristen because two of her most anticipated August releases are finally here. She mentioned Be My Ghost, Be My Ghost Book One by Carol J. Perry and The Royals Next Door by Karina Holly. Sarah talked about the new Helen Huang. This is The Heart Principle, the Kiss Quotient Book Three. And Sarah is definitely not alone in her excitement for this book. I know that I am super excited about it, as is Stacy and Natalia. And I believe Melissa um, has also read the first two books in this series and is looking forward to the third. So those are some books that you've heard us talk about before. So now let's move on to some books that you haven't heard us mention. I want to start with a couple of fantasy novels. Um, the first one is Breaking Badger, and it's Honey Badger Chronicles Book 4 by Shelley Laurenston. This is urban fantasy on the sort of lighter side. Um, she has a Call of Crows series. I read the first book, and it was a lot of fun. I love the female empowerment in Laurenston's writing. So if this appeals to you, you might want to check it out. It is Breaking Badger, Honey Badger Chronicles, book four by Shelley Laurenston. Then we have a sort of futuristic kind of fantastical slash dystopian series, I guess. This is The Devil You Know, Mercenary Librarians, book two by Kit Racha. And the first book, which is Deal with the Devil, I think it's called, was released last year. It is apparently set in the same universe as Racha's well-known Beyond series. Um, I love the idea of librarians being mercenary and like books and information giving them power. So again, this is The Devil You Know. Mercenary Librarians Book 2 by Kit Racha. I do have to say that I do not see an audio release for this. So if you're looking for it in audiobook, I don't think that's going to be an option, at least not, not right away. Okay, so let's talk a bit about a couple of historical novels. Natasha Lester is releasing The Riviera House this week. And Stacy has mentioned a few of Lester's previous books on other episodes. This is a dual timeline novel about a woman who is trying to keep art safe from the Nazis during World War II. And then, of course, the secondary timeline um, is exploring that, you know, from like more of a, a present um, perspective. I have not yet read Natasha Lester, although she's written quite a few books that appeal to me, so I definitely want to give her a try. This is The Riviera House 
by Natasha Lester. We also have the second Mrs. Astor by Shanna Abe. And this is historical fiction set in the early part of the 20th century. And it does involve the sinking of the Titanic, as well as that sort of upper crust, like New York society, um, you know, Vanderbilt's, Astor's, all these people. Um, if you liked The Social Graces by Renee Rosen, this might be um, a good book for you. This is one that I am currently waiting for in my public library, and I'm hoping that it gets here soon. It is The Second Mrs. Astor by Shanna Abe. Next up is just a, a general fiction, kind of women's fiction ebook called The Last Chance Library. This is by Freya Sampson. And if you love libraries and books, which you probably do because you are hanging out listening to a book podcast, then this is one that you'll want to check out. This is the story of a woman who is basically living through books and libraries. And when the library where she works is threatened with closure, she becomes desperate to save it and sort of joins forces with a group of unlikely allies who are all really invested in keeping the library open. It is The Last Chance Library, and it's by Freya Sampson. And let's talk about some mysteries here. Um, the Chateau by Catherine Cooper is out this week in print. And Kindle, like ebook format today, and in audio on September 2nd. This is about a glamorous chateau and a couple whose relationship is kind of on the brink of destruction. They are hoping for a romantic getaway to help kind of heal what's going on for them. And I think they get a lot more than they bargained for. It's The Chateau, and it's by Catherine Cooper. You Can Run by Karen Cleveland is also out today. Karen Cleveland has written um, a book called Need to Know. And that particular book is a little bit more of a political kind of terrorist themed thriller. Um, you Can Run seems to be a little bit different, more of a, a psychological thriller. Um, this is an author that I have not read before, but she is very well thought of in mystery and thriller circles. So I did want to mention it here. It is You Can Run by Karen Cleveland. If you are looking for kind of a cozy mystery with a little bit of a paranormal bent, then you might enjoy Seven Year Witch, this is the second book in a series called The Witch Way Library Mysteries by Angela M. Saunders. It is about a woman who is on the run. She becomes the librarian in this small town and, of course, learns that she has hidden magical powers that hopefully will help her solve a mystery. I don't always love the cozy mysteries that are pretty popular these days, but when they're coupled with like paranormal, magical elements, um, I find them really, really delightful. The first book in this series is called Bait and Witch, and this one is the second. It's Seven Year Witch, 
Which Way Library Mysteries, Book 2 by Angela M. Sanders. And we have a historical mystery um, by an author that Amber is a fan of. This is Murder Most Fair. It is Verity Kent, Book 5 by Anna Lee Huber. These are British mysteries, um, I think not terribly dark, and with a slow burn romance that kind of blossoms as the series evolves. If you've read um, Deanna Rayborn or Juliana Gray, then Huber is kind of a, a good comp for those authors. So this one is Murder Most Fair. And it's Verity Kent, book five, by Anna Lee Huber. And I am wrapping up today with a couple of young adult novels. Um, first up is Take Me With You When You Go. This is by David Levithon and Jennifer Niven both of whom have written really, really stunning young adult novels in the past. So they are teaming up here and they're telling the story of two siblings who are separated when one of them runs away from home, leaving her brother in an abusive situation. And we kind of watch them come to terms with their own, you know, struggles while trying to figure out, you know, what to do kind of without the other in their lives. This is Take Me With You When You Go by David Lebethon and Jennifer Niven. And last up, we have The Last Words We Said by Leah Shire. This kind of reminds me of Adam Silvera's History is All You Left Me and Nita Tyndall's Who I Was With Her. This is a story of friendship that turns to love, that then turns to heartbreak, really examining love and loss and what that looks like when you're a teenager who doesn't always feel like you fit in to the world you're living in. This one is The Last Words We Said, and it's by Leah Shire. And that, my friends, is all I have for you today. Um, I hope that you all are staying as safe and well as you possibly can. If you were in the path of Hurricane Ida, I hope that you were able to evacuate safely. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, it kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody. Mm -hmm.